Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Adam and Eve, and since that, everyone and everything has been infected by sin. Because of that, roses have thorns, wasps do sting, and we have cemeteries, because everything that's touched by sin dies. Let me think about it. Everything on this planet dies. Everything. Uh, and the reason being, sin has caused that. Well, God always has a plan, and he never leads a problem unsolved. And so Galatians chapter 4, let me read this to you. But when the right time came, God sent his son who was born from a woman who, and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy the freedom of those who were under the law. God's purpose was to make us his children. Basically, in Galatians 4 there, that's the Christmas message. God came to earth and died in my place, and died in your place. Then there's a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty. The word form, I didn't know this until the last two years studying this verse. In the Hebrew, if you dissect that word down if you care, uh, it means that the body of Jesus, his form, his frame. You know, when you see on pictures, you see Jesus like being six foot tall, has a beard, good looking guy. Well, this verse is saying that's not how it was. Because you got to keep in mind that when Jesus came to earth, the Jews were looking for the Messiah, and they were looking for someone that would deliver them from the Roman Empire. So they were looking like for like someone that's a man's man. This verse says, and watch Jesus. He doesn't have that structure. In fact, that word means that his body might have been pear-shaped, of all things. He might have been five foot seven, maybe. But then it reads on and it says that we should look upon him, nor his appearance, that we should be attracted to him. So what Isaiah is saying is Jesus was not a good looking man. Uh, some people, when they walk in the room, male, male or female, they'll walk in the room and you'll look. And then you look again because well, they got the right genes. They, I missed out. They got them. They got them. But when Jesus walked in the room, you'd look and you'd finish eating your supper. Because Jesus did not attract people. Uh, was not a good looking man. There was nothing. He would not have made homecoming court. Never. And yet this man who had a structure of a body that was not what we were looking for. And he was not a good look into the eye, pleasing to the eye, 
People love being around Jesus. And the reason being, what draws people is not so much what's on the outside, but if a person feels loved and they feel cared for, people run to that. Everyone in this room wants to be loved. Everyone in this room wants to be cared for. And so Jesus comes on the earth. He doesn't look what we would think he would look. He's not appealing to the eye, but what he does have is that what's inside him drew people because he loved people and he accepted people and people were drawn to him because of that. So Isaiah says that that's the way he looked. Uh, he had no royal birth, no social status. In fact, Corinthians 1.18, 1 Corinthians says, but the teaching about the cross seems foolish to those who are lost, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's hard to, to explain that verse. The cross seems foolishness to us, but to, to those being saved, it's the power of God. Again, they were not looking for that in the Messiah. And Jesus died as a criminal. And again, in 2023, that's hard to conceive. He doesn't look like what we thought he would look. And he died a death of a criminal death. And by the way, if you want to go to heaven, accept him as your Savior. But he died on a cross. That's a criminal. And so two years ago, I wrote this devotional, trying to like paraphrase 1 Corinthians 1.18 where we could understand it. Here's what I wrote. Imagine if the Christmas, imagine the story of Christianity was translated into our modern day. You go up to share your faith at the YMCA. They say, okay, tell me about your God. And we say, well, my God was born in Seagrove to a sophomore girl at Southwest Randolph High School who was a virgin. This virgin girl married her high school sweetheart and they gave birth to God in a tent. Her son never made it to college, never made it to the big city. He never wrote a book because he was busy putting on tires at Thomas Tire until he was 30 years old. He did miracles. He walked across the water at Lake Lucas. I mean, you should have seen it. It was really something to see. One time he stopped in a cookout and with five hamburgers and two fish sandwiches, he fed the whole town of Ashboro. People were amazed. He brought a man from Sophia back to life who had been dead for four days. And then one day they gave him a, a lethal injection. But three days later, he was seen walking around Sunset Avenue. Then he was at the mall. Then he went to the public library. And get this, he's God. You want to accept him as your savior. You've got to be kidding. That basically is the Christmas story where we could understand it. Now, someone has defined the art of preaching. I like this definition. At the fine art of talking while someone else is sleeping. That's a pretty good definition. Uh, when I first started pastoring 39 years ago, it used to bother me when I would see people fall asleep during my sermon. Uh, 39 years later, it still bothers me. <laughs> so before you decide to snooze into a nap, please give me your attention for the next 20 minutes, and I promise I'll try not to put you to sleep. So we see here in Luke 12, Jesus is talking to a huge crowd. There's so many people there that Luke 12 says they're stepping on one another. Jesus, if you read Luke 12, here's what he's preaching. 
He's talking about hypocrisy. Don't be that. He's talking about don't fear man, but fear God. And he's talking about, which we don't talk about this much, blasphemy of, of the Holy Spirit. So, that, so that's his three points. Hypocrisy, fear God, not man, and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. During this story, some man walks up to Jesus. It's a huge crowd. Steps over people. And so I take solace in knowing that people didn't listen to Jesus' sermons either. Because even though Jesus is talking about hypocrisy and fear God and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, this man walks up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to give me half the inheritance. That's what he's preaching about. And I would say, that's not in my notes. So this guy walks up and he says, this is not the first time that money has come between families. It's happened before. The inheritance. Hard stories. I want half my money. I want my part of the inheritance. And so in Luke 12, 13, let's just look at it. Someone in the crowd said to the teacher, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Verse 14. But he said to him, Jesus said this, Man, who appointed me as judge or arbitrator between you? So evidently this inheritance, that money, was this man's obsession. He thought about it day and night. His day would not be happy. His life was, would not be fulfilled if he did have half that money. The sun would not be beautiful. The birds sink. It would not be good to the air unless he had half of that inheritance. It's like a constant drip out of faucet. All we did was think about it. I want half that money. When he ate his dinner, he thought, gum, I want half that money. When he went on vacations, man, if I only had half that money. He thought about it all the time. He's thinking about it so much that Jesus Christ is preaching about hypocrisy and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and fear of God. And this man walks up to Jesus and he says these words, Teacher, tell my brother to give me half of my inheritance. So... If you know the Old Testament law, which some of you do, the Old Testament law said this, that the oldest son got two-thirds of the inheritance. So you can guess what son this is. And you can guess that his father had just died. So this guy's asking for half. He only deserves a third of it. And so Jesus looks at him and he says in verse 15, Then he said to them, Beware on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does like consist of possessions. So be on the watch out for every form of greed. The word is greed. Now King James Version, which I read a lot, doesn't say the word greed. It says covetousness. Beware of covetousness. That word is not a word we say that often. What's the last time you had a discussion and you used the word, pray for me, I'm having covetousness. You just don't say that word covetousness. And so the NASB and the NIV, they thought that word's a little bit too theological. So instead of the word covetousness, they put the word greed. Be aware of greed. In my lifetime as pastor of 39 years, I've never in my whole lifetime had someone come to me and say these words, pastor, pray for me. I got the sin of covetousness. Never. 
I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's like God, it's like God and Moses had nine good ones. Do not murder. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. And for the half ten, they threw that one in there. Do not covet. <laughs> That's it. Uh, I've had people call me before close to dying, and they've confessed stuff to me like, I don't want to hear no more. Just die, <laughs> please. And they're confessing everything to me, and I'm saying, I don't want to hear it. Be quiet. But I've never had anybody on their deathbed come to me and say, Charles, before I die, I got this big sin in my life, and I want to cover by the blood. What is it, my dear brother? Covetousness. Never had that said. Never talked about. Yet, here in Luke 12, Jesus talks about the danger of covetousness, the danger of greed. I don't get it. Yeah, you get it. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve every tree in the garden except one. And they wanted that one too. <laughs> Think about it. They had all the trees. And God said, do not go to the tree of the notch of good and evil. And in the end, even though they had all the trees, they wanted one more. It's Christmas time. Covetousness is like, let me give you the definition of covetousness. It is wanting more and more of what you already have enough of. That's covetousness. Christmas time. Unwrap a present. Ah, oh, a new shirt. I got 40 in the closet. Oh, I got a new pair of shoes. Oh, do we need to say how many shoes we have in the closet? I got some, uh, I, I have a phone. What? Already have a phone. But I can have the latest. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Jesus says, be careful when it comes to covetousness. Covetousness is having more and more of what you already have, plenty already have. That's covetousness. We live in a culture that tells us that what we have is more important than who we are. Uh, Jesus says basically these words, your life is not made up by what you own, by what you have. That's not your life. You, if you want to have a happy life, it's not what you have around you. It's what you have in you. It's what's on the inside that counts, right? That makes a person happy. But there's a whole avenue, well, Madison Avenue in New York, that is designed to tell you that your life consists of what you have. Got to have the latest car. You got to wear the right clothes. Got to have the latest phone. Well, I thought about all this stuff that we have. And yesterday, and you can look it up too, uh, the Global Health Data Exchange, that, that's it. And I thought, what is the most depressed countries in the world? Because, you know, this time is a time of depression. One of the main times in our nation during this time of year. So I got 10 nations here. I'm not going to give you all 10. It's, I don't want to do that. I'll give you the top three. The top three depressed nations in the world. Drum roll, please. I hear it in the background. Number three is the nation of Australia. It's the third most depressed country in the world. Number two, we live in it. The United States of America is the second most depressed country in the world. 
And coming in at number one, Ukraine made sense. Right. But think about it. The U.S. of all the countries in the world is the second most depressed country in the world. Now, if I could sit with you in a circle and I said, let's talk about that. How could that be? We have all the food we want, all the things we want, go any place we want. We have everything that life could offer, and yet we're the second most depressed country in the world. Why? Life does not consist, Jesus says, of what you have. It's what's in you. So I did this, and I researched some more. You look at the same website. And the country that is the least depressed country in the world, I've never heard of this country. I'll tell you about it in a minute, but I've never heard of it until yesterday. I'm going to tell you the country, then you tell me where it, where it is. First of all, tell me if you've ever heard of it. The least depressed country in the world, the Solomon Islands. Anybody ever heard of it? Bill, don't talk about Bill. <laughs> I knew Bill would. <laughs> the Solomon Islands. Guess where it is? You're close. Yeah. Uh, just north of Australia in the islands. Let me tell you about the Solomon Islands. 80% uh, of that country, they don't have TV. 80% of that country, they don't have internet which means they have no form of communication with nobody. 80% of that country has no indoor plumbing. And yet, according to the global data, they're the least depressed country in the world. Why? It also says that 93% of that country is Christian. Life does not consist of what you possess. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Think about it. All these things that we covet does not bring us fulfillment. Yesterday's mansion becomes today's boarding house and tomorrow's slum. Yesterday's new car becomes today's trade-in and tomorrow's scrap of iron. Yesterday's latest fashion is in your closet today and it'll be at Goodwill tomorrow because we grow tired of it. It doesn't satisfy. So Jesus says again, get this verse, your life is not made up of things you own no matter how much you have. I'm going to have the inheritance. That guy thought he would be fulfilled if he had all this stuff. If I had the money, if I had this, if I had that. And then he nails the point home. He looks at this guy in Luke 12 and he tells this parable. So that's the backdrop of the parable he's about to tell. Here's the parable. Verse 16, he told them a parable <laughs> saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. Now, the Bible does not 
condemn him because he's rich, because a lot of people in the Bible were rich. Abraham, very rich. Job, loaded. David, oh, you better believe it. Solomon, all kinds of money. Joseph of Arimathea, he loaned Jesus his tomb for three days. <laughs> uh, so they had plenty of money. This man in Luke 12 would have been very respected in the Ashboro community. I guarantee this man in Luke 12 would have been a member of the Kiwanis Club. Probably the Lions Club. Let's put him in the United Way. Let's make him chairman. Uh, he would have been a church member. Verse 17 says, this guy says, this farmer, and he began reasoning to himself saying, listen to all the personal pronouns. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, so who have many goods laid up for many years to come, take your life at ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now before we start comparing ourselves to this guy thinking, well, I'm not as rich as him, so I'm not that bad off. Um, again, I'm going to deal with indoor plumbing. Over half the world does not have indoor plumbing. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? If you have a toilet this morning, say, if you have a toilet at your house today, say amen. Over half the world does not. So literally, you have a throne in your house. <laughs> right. You got a throne. And literally, every day, your wife and you sit on that throne. Every day. And just with one magic lever, everything unpleasant about you departs from you. <laughs> You're like a little God. Basically, many of the world doesn't have that kind of throne. But what I'm trying to show you is that before we start comparing our goods to what this rich man has, everyone in this room is rich compared to this world. That's what I'm trying to show you. We're rich. Verse 20. Oh. The wife and I took our three kids, they were very young, to West Virginia. That's where my family's from. They have a few thrones up there. And uh, went to my dad's house. I think it's my dad. I'm not sure if it's my dad or not. I was told it's my dad. But everybody tells me, that's not your dad. So I don't know who he is. Anyway. Uh, we're there sitting in this house, and my wife says to my dad, Sir, I need to use the bathroom. To which my dad said, It's outside. She said, What? It's, a, it's an outhouse. And that's where we use the bathroom. And my wife said, I'll wait. Charles, talk fast. Let's get out of here. Let's go. I don't want to get bit by a copperhead. Yeah, five more minutes and I'm done. 20. But God said to him, you fool. To the point. This very night your soul is required of you and now you will own and who will own what you have prepared. So is the man who stores up 
for himself that's not rich toward God. Got it? So let me just play with my mind a minute. Think about this. In my mind, I picture this guy sitting down with the architect. And they're sitting at a table. And they're sitting at this table and they're figuring things out. And in front of them, he has the plans and they're looking at these plans. And this farmer's thinking this, I'm already the most successful farmer around here, but I'll tell you what, guy, when we get done with making these barns and these barns from this place, I'll be the best farmer in the Jordan Valley. Wait and see. And they're working on the plants, and they're looking at the blueprints, and this and that. And about that time, his wife comes in, his wife says, honey, honey, it's already 10.30. Don't you think you ought to come to bed? Yeah, it is getting late. And the architect says, sir, your wife's right. It's getting late. Why don't you let me have these plans and I'll take these plans home and I'll make some adjustments, adjustments that we talked about and do some changing and I'll come back tomorrow and we'll finish it out. So the guy gets up and he sees the architect out the door and he opens the door and lets him go out into the night. And he goes back to his desk. He's so excited. He can't go to bed, man. This is his new project, all these barns. And he sits down and he's thinking, man, this is going to be, this is going to be something else. And he's sitting down at the desk and he's running the numbers again. And he's thinking, okay, I got to have this for insurance. I got to have work, work, uh, workman's comp. I got to do that. And then I got to get this permit and that permit. And he's thinking about all the numbers. And as he's thinking, he's not going to bed. And about that time, I don't know who's at the door. Maybe I didn't hear that. Someone's at the door. He gets up. He goes to the door. And even before he gets to the door, he already feels the presence. And he opens the door. And the guy says, who are you? The guy at the door says, I'm death. Death? What are you doing here? Uh, what do you want? And death says, I've come for you. <laughs> come for me? Wait a minute. He gets out his appointment book. I don't have you down. <laughs> I mean, we did make an appointment. I, I mean, I don't have you down for an, an appointment. You never told me you were coming. And this says, I told you I was coming. Do you remember 15 years ago when your mom died? I told you I was coming. Remember three years later when your dad died? I told you I was coming. You know, your partner in business? I took him, I told you that day I was coming. And every time you see a hearse drive by, that's a thought to you, I'm coming for you. And every time you drive by a cemetery, I'm telling you, I'm coming for you. He says, I don't have time to talk to you about this. I told you what I came for, and I told you I was going to take you. So I tell you what, ma'am, I don't have time to sit here and argue with you, so I'm going to take you out. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Wait, wait, wait! 
Don't, don't take me out yet. Listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you half of my farm. Take half of it. I don't need it. Just take half. <laughs> this says, I don't need your junk. I don't need your toys. What am I going to do with your, that stuff? Where we are, that stuff don't mean anything. I don't want your junk. Well, take half of it. I don't want it. Six, five, four. Wait, wait, wait. I'll give you all of it. I'll give you everything I have in this world. Don't let me die. I'll give you everything I own. I told you, man, those are toys. Don't mean a thing to us. I don't want it. Please. The guy this says, nah, and he waved his hand. Three, two, one. Dead. He slumps over at his desk where his blueprints were. Doesn't even make it to bed. Next morning, the wife gets up. She goes downstairs, and she sees her husband. She doesn't know he's dead. She calls him by name. He doesn't respond. Calls his name again. He says nothing. She walks over to him and nudges him. Wake up. Oh, he's, you know how a dead person feels. He's cold. Start hard. Oh, she screams. There's grief in the house. They come do the funeral. The place is packed out. This guy was noted in the community. He was famous in the community. The mayor stands up and the mayor says, this guy was a pillar of our community and he was incredible. And he tells the young people, I think every young person, you should emulate your life to be just like this guy. He's incredible. He's with the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club. He's, in, he's great. Then the mayor says some more stuff. Then the county commissioners stand up and they say, oh, such a great guy. In fact, the county commissioners have decided we're going to name a bridge after this guy. They take him to the graveyard. They put him in the grave. They put on the tombstone a verse. They put his date of birth, date of death, and everybody goes home. And about everybody forgets about him. But during the night, the angel of God came by and wrote on the tombstone, F-O-O-L. Fool. Such is the man who accumulates things on this world, but is not rich towards God. Here we are, Christmas Eve. In the next 24 hours, there will be people by the thousands in Randolph County going to family reunions, going to parties, having a good time. And you'll have a great time, and I will too. But on December 26th, when Christmas is over, and the last gift has been opened, and the last party has been went to, and the last family function, some of us are going to be at our house and we're going to sit there all alone. We're going to say, man, I'm so empty. How can you be empty? You just had Christmas. You just had gifts. You just had this. I'll tell you why. Nothing in this world will satisfy the place in your heart that only God can satisfy. And when nobody else loves you, God loves you.
And when nobody else cares about you, God cares about you. And on December 24th, 2023, you find yourself in church on Sunday morning, a good place to be. People think that the gift of life and the gift of happiness is found under a Christmas tree. That's not where it's found. The gift of life is found under the tree at Golgotha, <laughs> the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is there you and I find meaning. It is there you and I find purpose. I just had a thought cross my mind that I had crossed my mind in 20 years. I'm going to give a quote that just came back to me. Most of y'all don't know who Dale, Dale Evans is. Y'all know Dale Evans? You know her, Pat? She is who? Rory Rogers' wife. This, this quote that just came to me. Here's the quote she gave. All my life, I looked for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but I found a pot of gold at the foot of the cross. Yeah. Real life, real fulfillment, real peace. It's not in the stuff we have, right? Real peace is found with Jesus. That's the Christmas story. God came to earth as a babe, lived 33 years, died, buried, and rose again, ascended to heaven, and you and I can become children of God. Glory to God. Let's all stand. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord. I really think most of the people here know this story. Um, Father, maybe there's one that doesn't. Here's what I pray. I pray that, Lord, you would just show them how much you love them. And, dear God, today they would make you Lord of their life. I also pray, dear God, for us that, Lord, we would take time today and get by ourselves and say, Father, thank you for coming to earth and dying for me that I can go to heaven one day. Lord, today we'll, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And dear God, we thank you also for the cross of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Merry Christmas and have a great day. God bless.